our keynote scripture of this Knowing God series has been Philippians 3.10. And in the easy-to-read version, it says, All I want is to know Christ and the power that raised him from death. I want to share in his sufferings and be like him even in his death. Now, overlaying that is a verse from John 16 and verse 8 in the New King James. It says, And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So church, we've taught about sin. I didn't teach as much as I wanted to about righteousness, but I know Pastor Davies did. I asked him to. And today we're going to look at judgment. This is such an important revelation for every Christian to know. Instead of two parts, I've condensed it into one part. Do you, do you have listening ears today? Hallelujah. Because, church, there is a judgment for the sinner. This is the one who does not know God. And he comes to the end of his life and he dies not having repented of his sin. There is a judgment for the sinner and church, there is a judgment for the believer. And we want to understand that these judgments, both judgments are for eternity. And both judgments concern how we lived our life on earth. Let me say, <clears throat> you only have one life. I know the world teaches reincarnation. That you, if you don't do well this time, you can be reincarnated and come back again and have a do-over. Let me tell you, according to the Word of God, there are no do-overs. You have this one life, and you choose whether to live it uh, just for your own selfish purposes or whether to live it for God. But the judgment we receive after we die is an eternal judgment. Hebrews 9 and verse, verses 27 through 29 say, Just as people are destined to die once. Everyone say once. And after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And so today, I believe the Spirit of the Lord wants to give us revelation about judgment. Remember in, in Philippians 3.10, we want to be conformed to his sufferings even in our death. So those two scriptures, Philippians 3.10 and John 16.8, overlay 
one another. And church, do you know where, if we have the right understanding about judgment, we are to eagerly anticipate judgment. Most people, when you say judgment, oh, they shrink back in fear and dread. But if you understand the judgment, it will be something we will be eagerly anticipating. For people who live wisely and are devoted to God, we understand that one day we will stand before our God who is the eternal judge of all. Listen to Hebrews 6 and verses 1 through 2 in the Passion Translation. It says, now is the time for us to progress beyond the basic message of Christ and advance into perfection, or that word perfection means maturity in Christ. The foundation has already been laid for us to build upon, turning away from our dead works to embrace faith in God, that means salvation, teaching about different baptisms. We know there are, there is more than one baptism. Impartation by the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Things will change on the inside of you when you have a revelation of eternal judgment. There are different kinds of judgments, as I've said, one for the unbeliever, one for the believer. And there are very judgments about various things in our life. Listen to this in Matthew 12 and verses 36 through 37. Jesus was one day casting out demons and the Pharisees accused him of doing it by the power of the devil. And Jesus said, but I tell you, listen, on the day of judgment, People will have to give an accounting for every careless or useless word they speak. For by your words, reflecting your spiritual condition, you will be justified and acquitted of the guilt of sin. And by your words, rejecting me, you will be condemned and sentenced. Church, this is a part of the revelation that Jesus gives us of what happens when we stand before God in judgment. We will give an account of every word we speak. This is part of our eternal judgment. That means, church, if we're going to give an account of every word we speak, that our words are being recorded. Now, the Bible doesn't exactly tell us how every single word we speak is being recorded, but it may be that the angels have a book. I think this is probably it. They have a book on Pastor Davies. And every word Pastor Davies is speaking is recorded in that book. And they have a book on Charles. Charles, every single word you speak 
is being recorded. And on the day when we stand before Christ in judgment, one of the things that we, we will be judged on is every word that we've spoken. Now, church, I want you to think about the culture that we live in today. Not just in Kenya, but worldwide. Think of the culture of the manner that people speak. The, there's so much vulgarity now in the way people express themselves. Used to, when I was an adult, excuse me, I was an adult when I heard the F-bomb. I didn't even know what the F-bomb meant. But now a four-year-old or maybe a three-year-old will have already heard that word. Our culture has gotten very vulgar. And words that used to certainly not be said openly are, are just spewed everywhere. They're in... Uh, People's conversation, they're on Facebook, they're, on, they're in music, uh, these words are in uh, movies. Everywhere you go, you have to be aware of your very, may very likely hear vulgar words, curse words, uh, lying, gossip. Gossipy words, backbiting, throwing accusations of people, lying about them. I'm telling you, the world is filled with language that is not godly. And Christians need to understand, we're going to be judged. It's part of the judgment for every word we have spoken. Everyone say Selah. The Pharisees didn't understand that when they uh, saw Jesus casting out devils and they said he was doing it by the power of, of Beelzebub. In other words, by the power of the evil one. They did not understand that they would one day stand before God and give an account for what they were saying about Jesus. Imagine someone coming to the end of their life and they've never paid any attention to the words that they've spoken. And they die in their sin and they stand before God and they will be judged for every even idle word that they've spoken. But when a believer repents of our sin. And we ask God to forgive us. Church, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I say things that are not filled with faith or whatever. And there are times I catch myself and I say, Lord, forgive me. That was not faith. Cleanse me of that. Though Those were not faith-filled words. Cleanse me of that. Church, I think we need to be very aware. There is judgment here. And there is judgment for all eternity for every word that we speak. We will stand in judgment. So let's be aware and have an understanding that when this life 
comes to an end, there will be judgment. Everyone say the word judgment. Now with that word, I'm not trying to frighten anyone, but to make us aware that at the end of this life, we don't get another life and another life and another life, but at the end of this one life, there will be judgment. Hallelujah. And that judgment is eternal. Paul speaks about judgment in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 6 through 8 in the New Living Translation. And he said, this is Paul speaking. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the, the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So when Paul wrote this <clears throat> in 2 Timothy, the end of his life was near. So he said, number one, I'm about to die. But I want you to look at the attitude that Paul had as he approached death. Number two, I'm looking forward to standing before God in judgment and receiving the reward that he has for me. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands today, but is your attitude toward judgment that you are eagerly looking forward to standing before Christ and having him judge your life? Pause and think about that. Are we eagerly looking forward to the judgment. When you've lived your life for God, church, you don't need to dread the judgment. And I pray that every single one of us will be like the Apostle Paul and that we will understand there's going to be a judgment for the way we've lived our life and that we will be ready for it. Church, there are two separate judgments of God. They occur at two different times. First is the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Listen to Romans 14 and verses 8 through 12. It reads, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Now this is talking about the believer. If I'm alive, I'm living for God. If I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? 
Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. In other words, we're not to judge our brother and look down on our brother, but church, we're to judge ourselves and understand that one day we, each one of us, will give an account to God for how we've lived our life. The judgment seat of Christ is also called the Bema seat of Christ, B-E-M-A. I'm, I'm going through this, but not stopping to teach about that. But this is where God, the eternal judge, examines the life of the believer. The believer will stand before the Bema judgment seat of Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 9 through 11. Therefore, because we know we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. That word terror means highest honor and respect. We persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known to our consciences. This tells us that we must live with the understanding that one day we personally will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we need the attitude as we live our life on earth that one day we will be judged for the way that we've lived our life. So how do we want to live our life? Well, as Paul said, I want to be well-pleasing to him. As I stand before Christ, I want him to smile at me and be pleased to judge me and not be sad as I'm standing there because my life did not bring glory and honor to him. So we live our lives with this attitude. I want my life to be well-pleasing to my heavenly Father. If I'm not pleasing the Father, now I want to make it right. I, I still have time to make it right. If I'm not living a life pleasing to the Father, if I'm not a person of my word, if I say something and everyone knows they can't trust what I say, if everyone thinks, oh, you know, you can't believe a word she says. Well, it's obvious I'm not living a life 
that is well-pleasing to the Lord. So this is my motive in living my life, that I may live a life that is well-pleasing to him because I understand that one day I will stand before my Lord who is the judge of all and I want him to be pleased with me. So at the judgment seat of Christ, this is the judgment of believers. I'm not their church to be punished. I'm there to be rewarded for how I've lived my life. Church, we do not have to fear the judgment seat of Christ. I'll tell you when you say the judgment seat of Christ, that sounds <laughs> like you want to crawl away. But I want to assure you, you don't have to find a rock to hide under when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We are brought as believers before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for how we've lived our life upon this earth. We don't go to hell from the judgment seat of Christ. We are not punished at the judgment seat of Christ as a believer. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but we're not to be afraid. We're not to be terrified. You know, it's hard to live a life of faith rather than a life of fear if, if it were such that we stood before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ knowing we were going to be punished and and and. All of our terrible history was going to be pre paraded for everyone to know about. Church, are you with me? I mean, how could we even live our life on this earth in faith? So I want you to know you can live your life on earth joyfully and in faith because the judgment of the believer is not for punishment. Can I hear an amen? Church, our judgment is for rewards. We're going to be rewarded for how we've lived our life on earth. The only pain at the judgment seat of Christ is a lack of reward. It is possible that you can go before the judgment seat of Christ and you not be rewarded as others are rewarded because it depends upon what you did with your life on earth and how you lived your life upon this earth. There can be a lack of reward or there can be much reward. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse, verses 11 through 15 say, this is the easy to read version, the foundation that has already been built is Jesus Christ. And no one can build on any other foundation. Church, I want to tell you as a believer, you don't want to build your life on money or on fame or on power 
on accumulating property or you don't want to live. You don't want to build your life for things that are not eternal. No, there is no other foundation that you can build your life on but on the foundation of Jesus Christ and be eternally rewarded. People can build on that foundation using gold, silver, and jewels. Or you can use wood. Uh, another translation says hay and stubble. This translation says wood, grass, or straw. But the work that each person does will be clearly seen because the day will make it plain. That day will appear with fire, and the fire will test everyone's work. If the building they put on the foundation still stands, they will get their reward. But if their building is burned up, they will suffer loss. They will be saved, and church, that's a good thing, to be saved and be in heaven for all eternity. They will be saved, but it will be like someone escaping from the fire, running out of the house with your clothes on fire even. You won't have eternal rewards. So it depends on how you build your life, on what foundation you build your life and how committed you are in the building of your life to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We live our lives as believers building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Gold, silver, and precious stones, church, cannot be burned by fire. Church, do you hear me? Gold, silver, and precious stones cannot be burned by fire. But wood, hay, stubble, straw, grass are easily and quickly consumed by fire. You are not hurt in this fire that tests and proves our works as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You are not hurt, you are not destroyed, but the nature of your life is revealed by Jesus. The nature of the way you lived your life is revealed by this fire. Now let me hasten to say none of us are perfect. If you're perfect, raise your hand. I don't see a single hand going up. None of us are perfect. But what does this mean then, how we lived our life? Well, if you lived your life committed to loving other people, if you lived your life being generous and kind to others, if you lived your life to be a blessing, remember, we're blessed to be a blessing. If you prayed for other people and treated them the way that you know Jesus would have treated them, if he were before them, if you led people to the Lord and you served in church and you were on the sound team and 
or you were on the platform singing or playing an instrument, or you were an usher, or you're in security, or you're teaching the children, whatever area of ministry. But you gave your life in service to the Lord. Church, that means you're living your life in an eternal manner. You're living your life in an eternal manner. It's not enough to just be saved. You, you're saved and you go to heaven, but you want to be rewarded when you get there. And that means we live our lives in love. We live our lives in generosity. We live our lives serving others. We serve in the kingdom of God. How do we serve in the kingdom of God? We serve others. We bless others. We tell them about Jesus. We lead them to the Lord and bring them into the kingdom. We pray for them. We watch over them. We love them. We take care of one another. Church, we're a family. We're not an island unto ourselves. And this is living our lives in an eternal manner. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21 in the Amplified Classic set, says, now this is living your life in an, with an eternal perspective. It says, do not gather and heap up and store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust and worm consume and destroy, and where thieves break through and steal, but gather and heap up and store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust nor worm consume and destroy, and where thieves do not break through and steal. In other words, we live our human life with an eternal perspective. We do not live our lives knowing that one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We do not live our lives selfishly. We do not live our lives like other men live their lives. But we live to give our lives away. We live to be a blessing. We live to serve in the kingdom of God. That means we make sacrifices <clears throat> in our lives because we're living with eternity in view. And we know whatsoever good thing we do on this earth, there will be an eternal reward. When we live in an eternal manner, church, we're laying up treasures in heaven. Do you know I so much want to be more blessed than I am today? I desire that. I desire increase in my finances. But do you know why I desire increase in my finances? Because it will increase my ability to be a blessing in the kingdom of God.
I will be able to be more generous in giving to the work of the Lord. Hallelujah. And so there is an eternal perspective and an eternal manner in which the believer who will be rewarded lives their lives. How do we lay up treasure in heaven? Actually, this is on judgment, but this is also beginning to prepare us to cast the vision of 2020. Because how do we lay up treasures in heaven? Well, church, it's by our good works. We lay up treasures in heaven by our good works, by the things that we've done for God that have eternal value in someone else's life. So that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our works are being refined by fire, <clears throat> how we've lived our lives will be revealed. Church, let me say this. You do not want to live a small, selfish, self-centered life. I mean, let the Lord do adjusting. May he do adjustments in each and every one of our lives today. We do not want to live small, selfish, self-centered lives. But we want to live big lives that involve eternal things. We want the eternal things to be the majority of our lives. Yes, I know there's eating, there's drinking, there's, and I'm not talking about alcohol, you understand, but there's, I'm talking about water or tea or something like that but there's eating there's drinking I know you have to have clothes and uh, shelter and we educate our children God understands that but the majority and the weight of our lives involves the big eternal things of God is that at the very center of your life I want to ask you that today the ones who will receive the greatest rewards are the ones who have eternal things at the very center and core of their lives. Hallelujah. So we live our lives for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to expand his kingdom on earth and to bring souls into the kingdom of God. We live to make a difference in the lives of others. So that when our works are put in the refining fire, what we've done for Jesus is not burned up. Hallelujah. Another believer might live a life that they're born again, but they give very little thought to the things of God. They don't even attend church regularly. They tithe here and they may give something there, but they live their life to make money or 
And they didn't give much thought to helping other people. They live, you can be a believer and live for temporal, temporary things that will pass away. Or you can decide to be a believer who lives for eternal things. And church, it's those eternal things that you will be rewarded for at the judgment seat of Christ. The believer who lives essentially a carnal, selfish life will be saved, but they will not have rewards. Do you know everyone does not have the same reward in heaven? Everyone does not have the same reward. There will be some who go to heaven and they have little or no rewards for their life. Just think of the thief on the cross who was crucified beside Jesus. I thank God Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. But what about his good works, church? There were none for him to be rewarded. Do you understand? But a life lived in loving submission to God, lived generously and lovingly toward others will be a life that has super abundant reward bestowed upon them at the judgment seat of Christ. Church, may I hear an amen. We're so happy for that those who go to heaven are saved, but those who live their life for Jesus while they're on the earth will have rewards that those who are just saved by fire will not have. Now let me expand that. That was talking about the individual. But now as a church, as a church family and community, now I'm casting vision here. We also, as a church, want to be a church that at our very center and at our very core are the eternal things of God. The eternal things of God determine how this church conducts itself. The good works that we do. See, your rewards are based on your good works done for the glory of God. And as a church community, it's vital that we have and, and know that the good works we do have eternal value in the lives of others. I don't, I don't have time. I'm, I'm not going to waste my time on something that is not being a blessing to others. Church, can I hear an amen? Isn't that your heart's desire? That, that we have eternal values at the heart of this church and we generously do good works that would bring others in to the eternal kingdom of God. We're a team church. I can't do 
what I do without you. Pastor Davies and I are a team. Pastor Davies and I and the round table are a team. Pastor Davies and I and the round table and all the teams operating out of the round table, we're a team. And we all, as a church, we're a team who comes together to produce the good works of God that will have eternal value and we will receive eternal rewards in heaven for the good works that we do together. We bring people to Christ. Together, we bless people and help people and pray for people and, and support people. We do the work of the kingdom together as a church. May I hear an amen. So those of you who serve in any capacity, you serve and you serve faithfully, we can count on you. God can count on you. We can count on you. Those of you who serve, those of you who give, those who teach, those who train, those who go out, those who are, for example, part of KSCF. I, I don't know how many <clears throat> we've won to the Lord this year so far, but I can tell you it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds have, of souls in our high schools have been won to the Lord this year. Can you say hallelujah, church? Whatever you do in any area of ministry, however you support the good works that the ministry does, whatever good thing happens in this church and through this church, listen, as a member of this church, as a part of this church, it goes into your heavenly account. Hallelujah. Church, I want us to do more good works in 2020 than we've ever done in the past. May I hear a big amen to that. The good works that we do as a church body, no matter how you participate, it goes into your heavenly account. You know, I don't know how to keep account of my own works, much less your works and the works of the whole church. I don't know how to keep account of that. But you know, God and the angels know how to keep account of it. And when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ at the end of your life, do you know the good works you've been involved in? These are not the only good works you will do, but the good works you've been involved in and supported and helped us do in Victory Faith Church, you will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. I'll tell you, God is a good God. When we connect together as a church family and make the decision that together we want to glorify God and do big eternal things for God, we want to bring increase in the kingdom of God. We want to see the lost saved. 
And we want to speak the word of God to others. We pray for the sick and help those in need. Church, I think we have no idea how amazing our rewards will be. Don't compare what you're able to do to what another person is doing, but give yourself to the good works that Victory Faith Church is doing. May I hear an amen. You give yourself to it. Maybe someone uh, in an offering can give, I don't know, 5,000 shillings, and you can only give 200 shillings. You do what's in your power to do, and God will reward you for your good works. Don't think, well, when I'm able, I'll start participating. No, sow a seed of 200 shillings, and I'll tell you next year, it'll be nothing for you to sow 2,000 shillings. Are you with me, church? Because let me tell you something about 2020. It's a season of increase. It's a season of increase. And we need to have the understanding that, that even though it's a season of increase and even though God is, is going to multiply and increase uh, in finances, in favor, in all manner of blessing, we as a church and as individuals want to increase our good works that have eternal impact on the lives of others. Why? It's because God so loved the world. He so loved the world. And he asks us to take that into our hearts and that in 2020, in 5780, we are going to so love others. First of all, we're going to be in unity and love one another. May I hear an amen? We're going to be in unity and love one another, but then we are going to so love the world. We are going to so love others that our good works in this coming year will be dramatically increased from what we've done in the past. Revelation 22, 12 through 15. Jesus is speaking, and behold, I am coming quickly. Listen, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now, listen carefully, church. I just there's a flow here and I'm just going to go through it. When the rapture occurs. The rapture 
is the catching away of the church. The dead in Christ rise first, and then there will be believers who are alive on the earth when the rapture occurs. I don't know. I may be alive. Pastor Davies may be alive. If I'm alive, he will be alive. <laughs> Hallelujah for that. But when the rapture occurs, we, we don't know exactly the day or the hour. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive are called up to meet the Lord in the air. And at that time, these, these are for believers, his reward will be with him. His reward will be with him. Church, what we, we want to pray as a church congregation that we as a church will have eternal riches in this congregation. We're not just looking for material riches. You know, there's not a rich person in this city that has ever had me knock at their door, and I know not Pastor Davies either, because they're rich, and say, would you come to our church? No. Church, we need abundance to do the work of God, but our focus is eternal riches. The eternal riches are the ones we take to heaven with us. You know these pretty new Kenya 1000 bills? and I haven't seen a 500 yet. Okay, let me see. <laughs> Pastor Davies is going to show me a 500. Let me see. Oh, thank you. He just gave it to me. Hallelujah. The, oh, this is nice. This is very nice. Well, church, uh, th this is beautiful, but you know it's not as wonderful as eternal riches. It's the eternal riches that we cannot. I, I, I think the 1,000s are pretty. I think the 500s are obviously very nice. They cannot even compare to eternal riches. Hallelujah. That the Lord will one day. I want the eternal riches in this church, Pastor Davies. I want eternal values at the very heart and center of everything that we do. And I think that's something we need to pray for. That we would be granted eternal riches because we're committed to doing the good works of God. What we own on this earth, church, you may have a house for 30 years. You just have it for a short time. But the eternal riches, our eternal reward, the good works that we do, those rewards we have for eternity. The riches, temporal riches, we just have for a few years. Eternal riches we will have for eternity because they are eternal riches. So this judgment seat of Christ is for the believer and it concerns our rewards for the good works we've done on this earth. Now the second judgment 
is the one for the unbeliever. And it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. I'm going to explain something to you in a moment. The Great White Throne Judgment. It's at the end of the millennium, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ. The second judgment, the great white throne judgment, is for the unbeliever. After the rapture, for seven years, the church is taken away at the rapture, and for seven years, it is hell on earth while they go through the tribulation. For those seven years, we're feasting with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You think Nyama Choma is good in Kenya? It doesn't compare to the feast we're going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So seven years of tribulation. There's the rapture. We're called away. Seven years of tribulation on earth. Seven years of feasting with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then at the end of the tribulation, we, the bride of Christ, return with Jesus to rule and reign on earth for a thousand years, and it's called the millennium. That's a whole teaching in itself. But at the end of the 1,000-year reign the millennium. Every human being who's ever been born on this earth, on this planet, will stand before God in judgment. Now see, we've already been at the judgment seat of Christ. This is right after the rapture. Now this great white throne judgment is after the rapture, it's after the tribulation, it's after the millennium, now is the great white throne judgment for everyone who has been born upon the face of the earth. Listen to Revelation 20 and verses 11 through 14. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face... The earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, that's a profound statement. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. In other words, not everyone has the same reward in heaven. But do you know the unbelievers do not have the same punishment in hell? They will be punished according to the degree of wickedness they practiced upon the earth. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, <clears throat> each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
instead of having eternal life, there is eternal death and punishment. The judgment seat of Christ happens before the millennial reign of Christ, and the great white throne judgment of the unbeliever happens after the millennial reign of Christ where every human being has been judged. Now, there are three things. Church, I'm getting close to the end. But there are three important things we need to understand about judgment, about rewards, or the lack of rewards. And I'm, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of this. But number one is the judgment of relationships. The judgment of relationships. And in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, this is the parable of the ten virgins. I'm not going to read it, but there were five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. The five wise virgins had their lamps full of oil. They were ready for the bridegroom to come. But the five foolish virgins wasted their time and they were not ready to meet the bridegroom when he came. And they went to the five wise virgins and said, give us some of your oil. And the five wise virgins told them, we don't have enough for ourselves and for you also. Church, here is a key. I can loan you our car. I could loan you some money. I might loan you a garment, but I cannot loan you my relationship with God. I can't loan you that. You'll have to develop your own personal relationship with God. Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? First, are you born again? Have you repented of your sins and admitted to yourself, I need a Savior. I cannot live my life on my own. Everything I try to do is just falling apart. I need help. I need a Savior. And so, church, the first thing about judgment is the judgment of our relationships. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And then, am I getting to know Jesus personally? Am I growing? Church, that's been the purpose of this whole series, our Knowing God series. Am I growing in my personal relationship with God? Or do I spend all my time on things I value more than my relationship with the Lord? Are there, are there things that are a lot more important to me than my relationship with the Lord? So this is key. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And then are you growing in your relationship? with the Lord. This
parable of the virgins is very troubling. Five wise, five foolish. Do you know what this indicates? That probably at least half of the so-called church do not know the Lord. You know, there are churches and denominations that teach you don't have to be born again. So they reject the blood of Jesus. I came from such a church. It didn't start out this way. But at 12 years old, we went to classes. We were stood up in front of the church. We were sprinkled and given a white zipper New Testament and told we were Christians. We weren't told about salvation. So I know what I'm talking about here. If I were still in that church and I still believe the things I was taught then, church, I would be considered part of the church, but I would be among the five foolish virgins. Five wise, five foolish. Many churches have rejected the blood. They say you don't need to be born again. They're very liberal. They agree with abortion. They agree with uh, two women being together. They agree with two men being together. And one man says, this is my wife. And the other man says, this is my husband. I mean, church, it is. it can get very, very confusing trying to follow the train of, of thinking. So just because a church calls itself a church does not mean it is authentically of God. And there are churches that even scoff and scorn the word of God. I came out of such a church that our seminaries would teach. There is no such thing as a virgin birth. There's no such thing as miracles. My fifth grade Sunday school teacher said, there is no such thing as miracles. There's no such thing as angels. Jonah was not swallowed by a whale. These are just stories. These are fables, is what my fifth grade Sunday school teacher taught us. Can you see why I was an adult when I got saved? <laughs> I was 29 years old before I received Christ. Matthew 25, 11 through 13 says, Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Although they went to a church called a church, they had no relationship with God. Lord, Lord, let us in. Let us in. And he said, I do not know you. I want to ask you today, does the Lord know you? And do you know the Lord. This has eternal significance. It doesn't matter, church, just some things I feel it's important to say. It doesn't matter if your mother's a Christian. That does not make you a Christian. It doesn't matter if your father's a Christian or your grandmother or your grandfather or your husband or your wife. That does not make you 
a Christian. It doesn't matter if you attend church. Even this church, that does not matter. Yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church. No, that does not make you a Christian. The only thing that matters is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Revelation 3.20 in the New King James says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That is Jesus speaking. Only I, only you can open the door to your heart. I'm the only one who can open the door to my heart. My grandmother can't do it. My mother can't do it. Your father can't do it. You are the only one who can open the door to your heart and invite the Savior in. So, first, there's the judgment of relationship. How important is your relationship with God to you? Number two, another area we're going to be judged concerning is the judgment of stewardship. The judgment of stewardship. This is also in Matthew 25. Verses 14 through 30, it's the parable of the talents, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. The judgment of stewardship. Listen to John 15, 8. By this the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Church, it glorifies God that each one of us and we as a church congregation together bear much fruit. This is a sign and a proof that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our gifts, our talents, our abilities all come from God and they're going back to God and you and I will give an account of our stewardship. What is involved in stewardship? Opportunity. Did we seize every opportunity to be good stewards? This is the essence of faithful stewardship is we recognize opportunities that have eternal value and we seize those <clears throat> opportunities. Stewardship means I'm doing all <clears throat> in my power to bring increase to the kingdom of God. Stewardship is about increase. It's not about just keeping things at the status quo. Let's just go on as we have been. It has been this way. Let's just keep it this way. No, good stewardship is all about increase. Bringing <clears throat> increase to the kingdom of God. Now, in this parable of the talents, one individual was given five talents, one three and one one. Listen to Matthew 25, 20 through 21. So he... 
who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many, many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Hallelujah, church. So what this says is, if we're faithful in little, if we're faithful in an opportunity that we have to bear good fruit, incredible blessing will be granted to us, as is very clear on, uh, in this parable. But what if we're not faithful? Church, what if we're not faithful? We had an opportunity. We, we were given one talent. We had an opportunity. But Matthew 25, 24 through 30 says, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid. Church, I'll, I'll tell you, that, that's a real that, that can be a real reason people do not do good works. They're afraid of failure. They're afraid they won't measure up. They're afraid they're not good enough. They're afraid someone else is better. But I tell you, if you're going to bear much fruit, if you're going to be a good steward and be involved in good works that will bring you reward, you have to get over fear and say, Lord, train me, train me, teach me. Equip me. I, I do want to do good works. I, I know I'm, I'm not able right now, but I'm trusting you to equip me and train me. So you have to get rid of fear if you're going to be a good steward. Well, I'm afraid to tithe. I'm afraid to give. I'm afraid to speak. I'm afraid to go with KSCF. You know, I'm afraid to sing in the choir. I'm afraid to learn a new instrument. I'm afraid to stand at the door and greet people. Church, you can't be a good steward and go very far in your stewardship gripped by a spirit of fear. I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, God expects us to bear fruit. Can you say amen? This issue of stewardship is very important. All of our abilities, our breath, our strength, 
our grace. It all comes from God. It does not originate with us. So a wise person understands one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account just like the steward who was given five talents, three talents, and one talent. They had to give an account to their master. I'm going to give an account to my Lord for how I used the talents that he gave me. Some people use their gifts and talents and even their attractiveness to take people to hell with them. And people followed them into hell just like a Pied Piper because they, it was a good-looking rapper or a beautiful actress or, or whoever it might have been. But... We want to be people who take our talents, our abilities, our giftings, and all the things that God graces us with, and we want to take a multitude to heaven with us. Church, may I hear an amen to that. Hallelujah. We want to have this heart. Father, everything you've given me, I'm using for your glory. Everything you've given me, every blessing, every ability, every gift, I am using for your glory. Church, let adjustments in, in each and every one of our hearts, may the Holy Spirit make adjustments as we commit to the good works we will be doing in 2020. The third thing we're judged on. So we're judged on our relationships. We're judged on our stewardship. And number three, church, is the judgment of friendship. The judgment of friendship. This is also in Matthew 25, 31 through 36. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. God takes very personally how we treat other people. It matters to God how we treat other people. It matters to God how we treat the poor. It matters <clears throat> to God how we treat those who are suffering. It matters <clears throat> very much to God how we treat those who have failed in life. They've stumbled in life. Maybe they're even in prison. It matters to God how we treat someone who has been knocked down and it looks like they're out. When we are kind to those who do not have money, they do not have social status, they're not considered upstanding members of the community. They don't have this world's goods. It matters to God very much how we treat them. He calls them my brethren. Listen to Matthew 25 and verses 37 through 46 in the New King James. It says, Then 
the righteous will answer him, say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In other words, church, we've been taught that when we receive Jesus, we receive the free gift of righteousness. And do you know there is the fruit of righteousness? And the fruit of righteousness is involved in being a blessing to others. Church, don't look down on anyone. Don't think you're better than anyone. I've told you this many times. My mother was famous for saying to us, uh, five kids, mother, had, mother and dad had five kids, you're just as good as anybody, but don't think you're better than anybody. Now, there's no scripture for that, but it is a biblical principle that we don't look down on anybody. You're never so low that you cannot be some kind of blessing to another person. Maybe they need a kind word. Maybe they need a sympathetic hug. Maybe they need food. Maybe they need for you to give them a thousand shillings. Church, don't look down on anybody, but for the grace of God, you could be in that very position. So when Jesus comes, the very first judgment is the judgment of relationships. Do you know me? If you know Christ, you'll go to heaven. The second judgment is stewardship. And church, this involves, as believers, this involves our rewards. If you want rewards, steward your life in such a way that you're laying up treasures in heaven. And the third judgment is, how did you treat people? Did you befriend them? Were you kind to them? Were you generous? Were you thoughtful? Were you considerate? If you belong to Jesus, he anticipates 
that we will be compassionate to all. None of us are perfect. In church, we don't get to heaven on our good works. It's only by the blood of Jesus. But we do need to live our lives on earth knowing that when this life ends, we enter into judgment for how we've lived our life. We have the potential to go to heaven and receive lavish rewards from our Savior and to hear God say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys that have been prepared for you. Church, hallelujah. Did you receive something from the Lord today? That we, as the Victory Faith Church family, I just look at you with such love in my heart, such thankfulness for you, such, I can even say, church, I adore you. And I want us, as we face 2020, to have this heart that we as believers, as we stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ, our good works are going to be judged by fire. And I want our good works to endure. And church, what, what does this mean when our good works survive the fire? It means these are rewards that we take into eternity with us. And it won't be like a house that we live in for 30 years down here. But our rewards that God has prepared for us for the good works we've done on earth will be lavishly rewarded by him in heaven. Hallelujah. Would you stand up with me, please? <clears throat> Church, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands before the Lord. Hallelujah. And as a church congregation, as we stand before the Lord today, you know, the word says, judge yourself. Judge yourself. I just want to ask you, have you been putting your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as your priority in life? Are the eternal things of God at the very center of your heart? Do you live for the eternal things of God? Or have you let the affairs of this life push your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ aside and other things have more importance in your life right now as a church congregation I want us to pray I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to pray after me Father in heaven we thank you for your word we thank you for Jesus our Savior we thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit. 
Now we as a congregation want to repent of our sins. We judge ourselves in our relationship with you. Father, forgive us when your relationship has not been our priority. We put Jesus Christ and our relationship with him front and center in our hearts. And Father, we also pray concerning our good works. We say we've not done all that we should have done. Forgive us, Father. Today, we make a decision to put the good works of God front and center in our hearts. We put the things of eternal value at the very heart of this church. And Father, we commit ourselves in 2020, going forward in time, to more good works, to increase in the good works that we do for you. May the Holy Spirit change our hearts. May the Holy Spirit change our minds. May the Holy Spirit help position us in the eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name.